At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. All right, let's take our Bibles, and we are in the book of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. And we are in chapter 8. So as we finish up this book tonight, um, I want to pick, I want to um, just remind you that uh, as we've gone through the Song of Solomon, there are different ways to interpret the book, and um, I, I take it literally, and I also uh, take it typically in the sense that I believe there's a typology here between Christ and his bride, and... Um, um, search the scriptures in them. You think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, Jesus says. And John the Baptist talked about the bridegroom and uh, the friend of the bridegroom. Uh, Revelation says, talks about um, uh, the spirit and the bride say come. And uh, Ephesians certainly talks about uh, Christ and his church, the bride of Christ. And I believe there's also some connections with Psalm 45, and uh, where it talks about, I believe, Israel there and Christ as his, um, in a certain sense, the queen, if you will. And uh, Psalm 45, just to refer to that again, um, talks about the king, verse 6 of Psalm 45, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy king. Oh, well, thy scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. I want to quote from Hebrews 1.8 where it's found over there. And then it talks about verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall thy king, the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is the, thy Lord, and worship thou him. And it goes on to talk about um, the daughter of Tyre will bring gifts, and um, the king's daughter, all glorious within, and... Um, so I, I believe there's some connections there with Israel also, although the, the, we, we think of the bride of Christ as being the church. There is a passage in Revelation where it talks about the new Jerusalem coming down and as a bride adorned for her husband. And it's interesting to note that on the, the, the gates of the city are the 12 tribes of Israel and on the foundations are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So I think there's connections there both with, with Israel and the church. But we go back to our passage here in the Song, Song of Solomon. I want to read the text for you, and then I'll, um, we'll talk about what's here. So, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5. Who is, that, who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. Brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would, be, would utterly be contemned. 
We have a little sister and she hath no breasts. What shall, be do, what shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I'm a wall, my breast like towers, and I was in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hammon. He let out the vineyard to, unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, uh, it, which is mine is before me, thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and these that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use it in our hearts tonight as we um, are stirred with a love for you. And uh, may we see Christ, and may we see ourselves in this passage uh, as we study Solomon and his bride. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we have considered um, these wonderful pictures in the Song of Solomon, we see her appeal for the groom, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the adoration she has for him, and then the next section is in the rest of chapter 1, and then the anticipation for him, her ambition for him in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, um, the arrival of the groom in chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, the acceptance of the groom in chapters 4, almost all, all of chapter 4, first verse of chapter 5, the aversion to him when he comes late at night and she uh, doesn't want to get out of bed and, and, um, and to open the door for him in chapters, all of chapter 5, first verse of chapter 6, the association with him in chapter 6, verses 2 through 13, the affection of him in chapter 7 through the beginning part of chapter 8, and now the allegiance to him as we close out the book. So you're going to see a summary here, really, as we come to the end, just a good, a good summary for the whole book. And uh, in this love relationship between the groom and his bride, and uh, you're going to see the past, a little bit of the past here, and some of the present, and then the hope and the, and the expectation in the future. And so I'm going to give you four points tonight as we take this piece of passage, or this passage apart, and I want you to see her reliance in verse 5, and then I want you to see her requirement in verses 6 and 7. Number, eight, or number 3, I want you to see her resolution and then finally, her request in verses 13 and 14. So her reliance in verse 5. I love, I love this point. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? Can you see the picture? Here she is coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on, on her husband, on Solomon. And uh, who is this? What a sight. And uh, I, believe, I believe the answer to that, it's Israel in this passage of scripture, and um, this is the one. Um, Israel was in the wilderness, and Israel here leaning upon her beloved. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 18, uh, when uh, they were talking to Pharaoh, or about ready to talk to Pharaoh, let me get to the passage, uh, 3.18, they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt Come, and thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews, 
uh, hath met with us. Now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Um, our God's called us to go into the wilderness. We've got to go. And of course, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And even when you get to like chapter 8, verse 28, he says, all right, you can go after some, some of the plagues. He says, all right, you can go, but not very far. And, and God didn't, our, our Pharaoh did not want um, Israel to, to, to go out into that wilderness. But what a special place the wilderness was for Israel. Um, she learned to lean upon her beloved in the wilderness. And you take a nation of people, for 400 years they had been in Egypt, and really there was, um, you know, they, they had heard about God, but, but now they were going to learn about him personally in the wilderness as a nation and as individuals. And um, you remember in Exodus 14, verse 11, it says in that passage, um, the children of Israel are up against the Red Sea. They cry out to the Lord. They say to Moses, Exodus 14, 11, uh, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? <laughs> and uh, her bridegroom is uh, going to teach her to trust him. And God parts the Red Sea and they go through. Clear back even with the rigors in Egypt. Um, there was, a, there was a having to trust God through all of that process of the, of the plagues and coming out. And then when they got into the wilderness, oh, all of the things that they learned out there in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse, verses 2 through 4. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. He says, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. You know, Deuteronomy was written the last 34 days of Moses' life at the very end of the 40 years of wandering. And, and he's, he's reminding them, he says, You remember what the Lord thy God, he led you for these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And when we have the Lord's prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And that's what manna was all about. They learned to trust him for daily bread. And they learned to trust him for water. And they learned to trust him when the Amalekites came and um, Moses held up that rod with Aaron and her helping him. And it was, and it was trust, it was a trust in God for the victory. And they trusted in God when the waters were bitter and, they ca and Moses cast the branch in. And they, and they trusted in God. They learned to trust in God and obey his word when Nadab and Abihu offered strange incense and God struck them dead. Or when the man picked up sticks on the Sabbath and they stoned him. Or the man took God's name in vain and they stoned him. They learned that they had to trust God's word. And then when they went to conquer the land right as soon as they came out of Egypt and, and they wouldn't trust the Lord for, for help in the battle. Um, and then they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That was all, all lessons 
The wilderness wanderings were, were lessons for the people of Israel to teach the nation that he was their God and they were to trust him. Deuteronomy 29 and verses 2 through 6. Really, let's just pick up in verse 5, Deuteronomy 29, 5. I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have, are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. Ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. And that's at the end of the 40 years. And that was the whole, the whole process. Who, who is this leaning upon her beloved? It's Israel. And uh, she learned to trust. You know, when God puts us in a wilderness, when, he gets, when, when, when we lose our health or we lose our financial, financially or we go, through, we go through some difficulties and struggles in life, whether it be one hour or, or one year or ten years or forty years, God takes us into the wilderness to teach us to lean on him. And the, and, the, and the question is, who is this that is coming up out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved? It's somebody that's been in the wilderness with the Lord and has learned some, some hard lessons of life that they, that they have to trust him for daily bread and they have to trust him for support. Well, there's one more thing I want you to see in this verse. So go back there into verse 5 of Song of Solomon and chapter 8, it says, I raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. And I believe this is a reference to her house, the house of her parentage, um, where she was born. And that he, he, it was at that place, at her house, under the apple tree, at her house, where her love for him was first stirred. And the raise thee up literally means to, to rouse, to waken. And it was at that place where it, it, the house of her parentage, where her heart was first stirred. Um, if you were going to go and take this, this if you will, this um, comparison with Israel and, and the Lord, and you were to go back and just take it to a verse of Scripture, it would be Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. And so I'm going to go back there and just read it for you. Exodus 4.31. It says in that passage of Scripture, when Aaron and Moses finally get to the people, you know, Moses has his, his miracles. He puts his hand in it and brings it out. It's leprous. He, he puts it back in it and it, the leprosy goes away. He, he throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a serpent. He picks it up by the tail and it's back into a staff again. He's able to turn water into blood. And... Uh, when Moses and Aaron go before the people of Israel and sh show them these things and say, God's, God's taken us out of Egypt. Um, here's what the Bible says in Exodus 4.31. The people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped. And I would say that's, that's where Israel is a nation. They're, they're under the apple tree, if you will, in Egypt, 
Um, that's when their heart, Israel as a nation, that's when their heart was first stirred as a nation for the Lord. And uh, so there would be some hard times. And uh, there would be some lessons to learn. But you go back to our text and you see the bride's reliance upon the Lord. And um, that brings us to number two, the bride's readiness. Chapter 8, verse 6. Um, her desire... The first one, if we would say it, it would be her desire to be dependent upon him. Now her desire to be loved by him. Verse 6 says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. So we're going to talk about the, her, the appeal for his love. She wants to be loved by him, and she describes it as a seal. Um, this last week we looked at Jotham's signet ring or signet it's, it's not exactly a ring. It has, a, on the back of it, it's curled up, and it's more of a, a thing to grab a hold of to be able to press it into the, into the wax or the clay um, to put the imprint of the seal in. Um, but she says, make me as a seal upon thine heart. Uh, set me as a seal upon my heart. Stamp me, stamp me in your heart. And she, wanted to, she wants to be sealed to his heart. She wants him to love her and uh, to have that love guaranteed in his heart. There is a wonderful passage of scripture. It's God again speaking to Israel. And it says in Jeremiah chapter 30, uh, 31, verse 3, there's a whole passage here about God, what he's going to do for Israel. But in um, Jeremiah chapter 31, and verse 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn thee. Wow. An everlasting love sealed on the heart that the, his imprint is made. Our, 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 we are imprinted on his heart, if you will. We love him because he first loved us. And his love is an everlasting love. Not only sealed to his heart, but sealed to his hold. You go back to verse um, 6. As a seal upon thine arm. A love that is guaranteed in his hold in, with, by his arm. Um, there's a passage in Isaiah 49, verse 16. It talks about we, the Israel's graven on his hands. Um, and I think of John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, uh, 29, and 30, where we are, we, are, we, are, we are in his hand, and we can't be plucked out. So she, that's what she wants. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. And then there are these precious verses about love. There are five statements, I believe, about love. There's different disagreements about some of these things, but I'm going to give you what my interpretation is. I'm going to tell you what the, um, as you see here in the King James Version, jealousy is as cruel as the grave. I, I, there's, there, those words can be translated differently, and I want to show you what I think about them. But let's take the first one, love that is strong, and it says, love is strong as death. Well, death's a pretty powerful thing. 
Uh, you don't say no to death. Death overcomes. And for all of us, um, death is going to come on everybody and it's going to be powerful and there's nothing you can do to stop it when the day comes. Um, I, th I saw a little documentary on, I think it was Steve Jobs with the Apple, you know, and, and with all his money, he couldn't stop death. It took him. And every rich man, there's nothing they can do. It is powerful to have that kind of a love that is just as strong as death. It, is, it cannot be stopped. I think the next statement is, is the same way. Jealousy also has the idea of ardor, this, this, this strong love. Jealousy is cruel. The word cruel is the idea for stubborn. It's intense. So an ardor, a love that is intense as the grave. By the way, the grave does not give back. When the grave takes, it keeps, right? Except for the Lord's power. Very powerful. You can't go over here and clean out the cemetery. Nobody has the power to do that. And to have that kind of love that is as stubborn and intense as the grave, it will not let go. I think that's the meaning there. Um, there are some that want to put the, that, that, as, the, as here, it can be translated this way. Those words can go either way. But I think all of this is talking about love. This is my opinion. Love that is supreme. Um, at the coals there are are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. The, aim, the idea would be here is these, the, um, um, it flames, um, love is like a flame that, that it has a flame of fire. There's nothing that can withstand it. I mean, when the flame, it, it, the, the Hebrew would be like flame, flame, fire, flame. It's just overcoming. I call it the, the love that is supreme. It's love that just overcomes. Nothing, it, when that Chicago fire um, back in the 1800s took place and the wind was just carrying that fire through the city, there's nothing anybody could do to stop it. When they had the forest fire down at Durango, it just burned up thousands of acres. They just couldn't stop it. And uh, that kind of love that just won't stop, it's so, it's just burning. A love that is surviving, you look here in verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. They, they drown it. There will, nothing can stop it. And love that is surpassing. At the end of verse 7, if a man would give all the substance of his house for love... It would utterly be condemned. It would be despised. In other words, it's a love that can't be bought out. No amount of money could buy the person out of loving. It would just be despised. Give you a billion dollars if you'll, if you'll no longer love your wife. Nah, I don't want it. I love my wife. That's the idea here. This kind of love that just... You know, no amount of money would just be despised. No, I, I don't want the money. It's that kind of love. It is a love that is surpassing. Well, that's what she wants. And guess what she gets? Romans chapter 8 gives the answer. Verse 37. 
Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. It's an everlasting love. And this is what the bride, this is what the bride is ready for. And uh, you see her reliance, you see her readiness, she wants this kind of love, and then you see her reservation. In other words, her desire to be pure for him in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 8. And um, it has some delicate language here, so I'm gonna, I just read through it quickly when I did it, but I want you to look at the passage of Scripture, and I'm going to talk about it. And um, there's a parable here, there's a little picture that is given here about some brothers and their little sister. And it talks about a day. And it says, we have a little sister. What are we going to do for our little sister in the day when she's spoken for? What are we going to, we are the brothers, we're the big brothers, we've got a little sister, she's immature still. She's just a kid, but what are we going to do for her between now and the day when some fellow wants to ask for her hand in marriage? That's, that's the setting. And so they want to know what they can do for their sister, what they should do for their little sister. And you get their conditions in verse 9. They say, well, if she's a wall, we're going to build on her a palace, literally a battlement of silver. So if our little sister, she, you know, grows up and, you know, becomes a teenager, and then she gets, you know, into that marriageable age, and uh, some suitors are starting to, you know, um, look at her and, and be attracted, and, and it says, you know, if our sister has some character and... Um, wants to keep herself pure for her husband someday. And she has, she is chaste, she is pure, and she keeps herself for the right one, the right day. If she's a wall, we're simply going to be put on her a battlement of silver. Us, we brothers, you know, she's going to, she'll be, with her own principle, she's going to be pure. If she's that way. And we as brothers, we're just going to give her moral support in all of these things. And it'll be like a battlement of silver. But if she's a door, if she's loose, if she, you know, chases after the fellas and, is in, and has loose morals, if that's what she is, if she's a door, then we're going to enclose her. We are going to... Um, the idea of enclosing, we're going to besiege, like a city that is besieged, the brothers are going to besiege the sister to protect her because she, she doesn't have good character when it comes to moral purity. So we're, gonna, we're going to shut her up and keep her secure. We're going to board her up with boards of cedar. And we're going to do whatever it takes to keep her pure for her wedding day. That's the brothers. And doesn't it say in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 5, 2, treat the younger as sisters with all purity? It's a responsibility to, 
even in the church, to help guard the purity of our young people. And uh, Paul, talking about the Corinthians, he says, I want to present you to Christ as a chaste virgin, as if he was the brother. And so we look now, by the way, when you take that passage in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, where it talks about um, presenting the Corinthians or the church to, to Christ as a chaste virgin, and he warns about an, the preaching of another Jesus and another spirit instead of the Holy Spirit and another gospel instead of the gospel of salvation by faith, false doctrine, uh, false spirit, uh, a false Jesus. Those are all those are all corruptions. Those are all things that are impure. And when it comes to the church, and um, and worldliness, and the uh, like, it says in James four four, uh, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity? It's hostility with God. And uh, love not the world. And so this need to be. Uh, for the bride to be protected in her purity, that she be pure and loyal to him and not have a love affair with the world. And then you see her, her purpose. So what does she have to say about all of this? And uh, she says, I'm a wall. Well, that's good. She has character. When it talks about towers here in, in a city, in the, in the defenses of a city, the wall is there for protection. The towers at the critical points are, are there and at the, at the corners are there for defense. And uh, she talks about being a wall. She talks about the towers, having defenses to keep herself pure. And the result of this, because of her faithfulness, she finds favor. I was in his eyes, in Solomon's eyes, in my husband's eyes as one that found favor. Shalom. Almost sounds like Solomon, but it's the idea of peace, completeness. I was complete in his eyes. I had not been defiled. I had saved myself for him. And, and there's that principle there for, the, for our wedding day. And because of her character, she was pleasing to him. And... Um, how much, how much more should the church have that same spirit when it comes to this old world and being loyal and keeping ourselves pure for him? There are, in the world, there are boys and girls who mock and, and, and scoff at, at people who keep their purity. But it's the person with character that keeps their purity that really is excellent, noble, Christ-like. And there is in Christianity those who mock at and scoff at those who want to be pure in their doctrine and in their practice and in their preaching of the gospel. They want to do the right thing. And there are those who mock at them and scoff at them. But we ought to be the excellent, the honorable, the Christ-like. Her fruit is this in verse 11 and 12. She talks about Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hammon. Baal Hammon means Lord of Abundance. And he let, it out, let out the vineyard to keepers. He, he leased it out 
and they were going to raise fruit on it, and they owed him, everyone who leased out the vineyard from Solomon was to bring him a thousand pieces of silver. That was just the due, and then, um, so she gives this picture here, and then you see the application. So that's the way they did business. You lease the vineyard from Solomon, he gets a thousand pieces of silver, and you know, you take all the risk and all the rest of that. But it's, it's Baal Hammon, it's, it's a lord of, of abundance, so it's, it's got good promise. So in verse 12, she talks about her vineyard personally. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 6, she's talking about her, her vineyard she hadn't kept, talking about herself personally. And she says in verse 12, um, my vineyard, which is mine before me, thou, O Solomon, you get a thousand. In other words, what she's saying here is, I have my vineyard and I'm giving it, I'm giving the full price of it to you. I've, kept, I've done my vineyard for you. Now I'm, I'm totally surrendered to you. Like the song says, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. Or I surrender all and she is there for him. I like what it says about the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. They, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave up their, their, out of their poverty to the Lord. Or Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And uh, that pleasing could go right back to this very text of Scripture um, where it talks about being pleasing and being holy. And some very close connections there. To, be, uh, to give ourselves in body, in, in purity, in purpose, in service, to give of our means, to give of our future, to give of our life. Lord, you get the thousand. It's all yours. And to those that keep the fruit thereof, 200. Um, different thoughts about this. Uh, I, I, I lean towards what Hudson Taylor says in his commentary on it. Uh, Hudson Taylor talked about those who keep the, the, the fruit, talking about pastors and, and Christian workers and those who help keep the vineyard of the church and, and the, the honor and the due that goes there. And so the last thing is the bride's request. And so here we go and we'll finish up with this. Um, verse 13, her desire to be present with him, thou that dwellest, in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. I think it's she is talking to, I believe it's her talking to him. I know in our Ryrie Study Bible, it's the other way around, and you get, you get this in the commentaries. They, get, they go all over the map on this. But her request, she wants to hear his voice. He's the one dwelling in the gardens. He's in paradise and uh, there are those that are with him all the time, the angels and the saints that have gone on before, the companions, and they hear your voice, Lord, I want to hear it too. Just like in the beginning of Song of Solomon, she says, Lord, draw me. Now she says, Lord, um, cause me to hear your voice. To have that kind of heart when, we, when you come to this book. To not just read as, a, as an exercise, but to, to listen for him. Because he's speaking. Um, you know, somebody could, somebody could hear the preaching. 
and just be off in another world. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe even sleeping. Or, or they could be just riveted on every word. With him in this book, we ought to always be riveted on every word. So that's her request. That's what she wants. Lord, cause me to hear it. And when we come down and spend time in the word of God, Lord, we ought, we ought to pray. Song of Solomon 8.13. Lord, thou that dwellest in the garden, thy companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Your will be done here as it is in heaven. And then the last one. Make haste, my beloved. Be thou like the, to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. Oh, the mountains of spices. So, so it's sweetness there. Sweet aroma. Oh, to, to, Lord, come back quickly. Uh, we talked in 2 Peter 3.12 about Lord hasting his return. Earnestly desiring his return. And... Uh, um, in, uh, he talks about the row and the, um, um, the heart. The row is the gazelle, and it, it speaks of beauty and the grace. And Lord, in all of your beauty, come back like the heart and in their, in, upon the mountains and the, and the speed. Um, the other morning, I was out walking and, um, and, um, a couple mornings ago, and I came... I took out, and I usually have my same old route that I do, and I, and I turned the corner, and right in front of me, oh, probably oh, maybe 75 yards away, were three deer. And I just laughed. I thought it was the funniest thing. These three guys, early in the morning, and I mean, people are starting to stir, and these guys are down in the middle of our neighborhood, and they don't know where to go. And I just laugh at them. They just kind of look at me like, you are a nut. And uh, so... As I'm walking, they turn and go down. And they could have gone straight and come back right back around again, but they turn and they went left. And that's really where I was going. That's my path. So I go and, and sure enough, I got around the corner. There they were. And they were looking at me and they were waiting for me. And uh, so when they get to the next corner, they can either go right down towards D and a half road or they can go left up into a cul-de-sac. Well, at that point, when I, when I cut the corner, I usually cross the street and go over to the other side. Well, when I started crossing the street to go to the other side, it just spooked them into the cul-de-sac. And before, they were just kind of hopping along. But man, when I, when I crossed the street and they thought I was herding them, and, uh, which I wasn't, but when, I, when they thought that, man, all of a sudden they spooked. And they took off, man, just lightning speed. And uh, one of them went across the driveway. And when he come across that grass and he hit that driveway, she, when she hit that driveway, man, her feet went out from underneath her. She slid all the way across the side of that driveway. It was a two-car driveway. And then there was a, like a, some, some, uh, some, some landscaping there with some, a log and a big rock. Man, she slid into that, bumped into the rock and kind of got her up. And then I looked at the other one. Man, the other one hunkered down and was just, it wasn't hopping. Man, that one was just almost a run. Out of there. Yes, Lord, like the young heart upon the mountains, come back. In the book of Revelation, it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Like a, like a deer on the mountains, come quickly. And we look forward to your return. What a precious book. 
And uh, I've just loved going through it. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I do pray that you would help us to love you. And Lord, if we've been cold towards you, that we'd fall back in love with you again. Lord, we'd answer the door. You stand at it and knock. We'd open the door. And Father, we'd lean upon you. And Lord, we would long for your love that is everlasting. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10.13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may right now pray and according to Romans 10:13 call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ if you've made a decision to trust Christ let us know the number of the offices at Pear Park Baptist Church is 434-4113 someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours in addition the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.